recorded live. And good evening tonight, folks. Again, this is another edition of the NGSC Weekly Show, the flagship show here on NGSCSports.com and NGSC Sports Radio. I'm your host, Joshua Zimmer, and as always, joined with me, Mr. John Doucette and Montel Hardy. John, how are you doing this evening? Ah, good, Josh. Always good to be with you. It's always good to have you. And Montel, how are you doing this evening? Uh, I understand you had a little bit of a flu bug going around. Oh, man, I think I overdid it over here in Maryland, buddy. It was uh, a lot of fun, you know, a uh, great experience. But, you know, just be really easy of, you know, some of these Indian cuisine restaurants, you know. I tried to be a hero, and uh, I'm paying for it now, guys. <laughs> so, um, yeah, no, it's great to be with you guys this week. It is, yeah. Obviously a, a wild week in sports. You know, we have the NBA draft tomorrow night, which uh, – I'm not much of a Timberwolves fan or an NBA fan for that matter, but I do hope uh, Okafor uh, is the selection tomorrow evening. And then, of course, uh, you know, Women's World Cup's going on, and we'll have Jamie Council on later to uh, kind of give us a little bit of a uh, history lesson on some women's soccer, because I know everybody's excited about that. And then, uh, of course, I know John, John's anointing on this one. Uh, it's a sport that not a whole lot of people pay attention to, but college baseball, as we are in the final final games of the World Series uh, between the defending national champion Vanderbilt and Virginia. But before we even get to those, uh, we have to get to some of the NFL news that's going around uh, the league first. Um, as some of you guys may know and as some of the listeners may know, uh, of course, there were incidents last week that happened in South Carolina, the tragic shooting at the historical church down there in Charleston, and Carolina Panthers and Cameron Newton uh, did themselves a little bit of a good deed, I would say. Uh, definitely got themselves a parking pass in heaven for doing this, as the owner has donated $10,000 each to the family. And Cam Newton was one of the players, as well he should have been with him being the face of the franchise, who showed up to help basically – uh, provide a little bit of hope, and obviously a, a, a very dark situation that is going on uh, and continuing to go on within the United States. And so uh, I kind of want to bring uh, that to your guys' attention right now uh, as we go through. Uh, Montel, first and foremost, uh, number one, what does this say about uh, not only Cam Newton, but the Panthers front office and the Carolina Panthers themselves and their organization for doing something like this? Say that last part again. I'm sorry. Oh no, you're fine. I said, uh, I said, you know, basically, uh, what does it, what does it say about Cameron Newton and the Carolina Panthers front office for doing something like this uh, in terms of donating the money uh, to these families and, and basically being there for support, showing their support? Well, uh, I think it's a it's it's a great move for a couple of reasons. I think a uh, show support because a lot of times. Uh, entities like the NFL, uh, like baseball, like, uh, you know, other major sports brands, they opt, you know, not to pay attention to, not to, not to pay attention, but not to acknowledge or recognize some of these things. So the fact that the Panthers are reacting and said, hey, we're going to acknowledge these families, uh, we're all for one, one fan is important, is, you know, all our fans. So 
Uh, that's an incredible movie. And, and, and then also it, it shows unity, you know, North Carolina and South Carolina. The parents just represent both. So uh, I think that's all incredibly important. And, and John, uh, Josh, you guys, you know, you guys know this. I just moved my dad down to Columbia, South Carolina, uh, you know, four or five days ago. So believe me, you know, this is a, a very trying time for the state. And, you know, my panic button is like ready and willing. And I talk to my dad every day, you know, make sure he's staying safe. But, uh, it, it's an incredibly uh, challenging time, not just for the NFL and dealing with this, but for all of America. So, uh, but the Panthers took the first step, and I think they did a great job, kind of acknowledging and attempting to repair, you know, some of the the bad that's been done. Yeah, and, and John, you know, uh, what does it what does it say to you about you know, kind of going off of what Montel told? You know, obviously, I agree. Uh, you know, there, there's many times and many search, uh, situations where a lot of these uh, higher-up sports entities do not show up, uh, but also over the recent years, uh, they have shown up. Uh, you know, obviously, we can go back to some of the news that broke today uh, within your backyard, but I remember Dr. Bonner officially having, uh, you know, his, his sentence of death. Uh, for the uh, Boston bombings, and, and he saw the way that, you know, not only the city of Boston, but the Boston Red Sox rallied uh, around that. Um, what's this really saying about sports entities now in general as uh, as we go forward uh, within this generation and also within the struggle uh, that is going on uh, within this country? Goodwill is always a, a good thing to be a part of, and I think that uh, – Sports franchises, regardless of what brand you want to talk about, are beginning to realize that uh, being in the forefront of some of these issues is never a bad idea. And uh, I mean, up here, obviously, with uh, the uh, uh, the marathon bombing and with the uh, the sentencing that took place today, I mean, people uh, have uh, finally, hopefully, come to a conclusion with that, as uh, as painful as that might have been uh, for those who have gone through. But uh, you know, the Red Sox were. Uh, were very, very much in in front of all of that back in 2013 when that happened. And although it eventually mm-hmm. led to a world championship, it really, I, I, you know, in some ways it was not necessarily the, the bigger story. It was the fact that they uh, uh, were as uh, out front with this as they were and, and stayed that way through the entire season. And eventually when the celebration took place in October, went to the uh, – uh, to the finish line of of the Boston Marathon, and that's where the trophy stayed for a few seconds. Uh, you know, other franchises have done it in, in this area as well and, and across the country uh, as well, as, as you've seen in, in Carolina with what the, uh, the Carolina Panthers are doing and what Cam Newton is doing. It, it not only scores good points, obviously, for the franchise and for the individuals involved, but it's the kind of goodwill that will leave long-lasting memories for the people involved and, and for the areas that they are serving as a sports franchise. Yeah, you know, without a doubt. And as, as we continue to, to speak about Cam Newton, why not throw a little bit of shade his way uh, as we talk about um, Montel? I don't know if you had a chance to see it, John. I know you probably didn't get a chance to see it because you're not uh, super active on social media. Uh, but there was a vine that went around uh, the last couple of days of Cameron Newton at one of his camps uh, basically grabbing a deflated football and saying uh, – Basically saying something that you know, uh, you know, what is this, Tom Brady? Uh, oh, now do we need to go there? Do, do, <laughs> is this really necessary? I mean, it's bad enough that Brady had to spend eleven hours in New York, eleven stinking hours in league office in New York, trying to defend himself. So now Cam Newton decides to throw a little joke out there. I mean, this is really getting absurd. 
Well, it's just one of those things, you know, you associate yourself with something that goofy, uh, you're kind of, you know, you're kind of asking for it, you know. Uh, I get it, it's, it's a little rough for him now, but uh, it's just hard to say he was out of line for it. I thought it was hilarious, you know, just a little joke. Uh, and believe me, he won't be the first to chide Brady about it, and he definitely won't be the last, so. Uh, uh, that's you know, okay. Ha, ha, ha. It's, it's real funny. You know, but you know what? Maturity does eventually need to take over here. <laughs> you know what? I, I, well, I can agree with that. I, I like the team. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I like it. I think it's something that why not take a laugh at? Uh, everybody else has been laughing at it. Why not? Why not continue to take a laugh at it, especially when you're, you know, a quarterback uh, in the NFL? Um, I think that was a good move on Cam Newton. Um, he gets brownie points in my book. Uh, but uh, as we transition uh, to continue to talk about Tom Brady, uh, John, obviously the appeal hearing was yesterday. Um, and from many accounts, including many from ESPN, uh, Tom Brady appeared and came off well. Uh, what's this necessarily going to say about the fact that you know, he's still under a suspension and the fact that uh, more than likely in week one we're going to see Jimmy Garoppolo under center? Well, I think that's a given. You're going to see Jimmy Garoppolo under center. I think anybody who's uh, been paying attention to it does understand that that's probably going to take place. It's a question now of just how many games is he under center? Is it just one? Will it be two or will it be all four? I think the fact that Brady spent 11 hours in New York yesterday going through this and apparently was very well prepared. His attorney, Jeffrey Kessler, said afterwards that Brady was there to the bitter end. But I think the length of time that this took to present uh, his case and for the NFL to present theirs, I think it's ridiculous. This should not have taken 11 hours. Montel, what, what do you say? I mean, to me, if you're, if you're doing it for 11 hours, uh, obviously you're creating somewhat of a good enough argument to where you can, to where you can have the opportunity to get yourself reduced suspension. Well, to me, it's like, uh, I mean, it's no big deal, right? It didn't happen. It's a joke. Remember Tom Brady saying this isn't ISIS? You know, I mean, how did we get here? How do we get to 11 hours dealing with this if this is no issue? It's not happening. You know, I mean, it, 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 the fact that this is still alive and this is all is an indictment on Brady because, you know, the, it's just going to look bad, you know, in time if, if, you, if this is a squash immediately. Yeah, you know, uh, like I said uh, in the beginning, I personally believe that he needs to swallow his pride and just take his suspension. Uh, he needs to understand that what he did was wrong. Whether he knew about it or not, fact of the matter is, you've been playing quarterback long enough, you know when a ball is deflated, whether you like it that way or not. You even con- you know, con- consciously knew or not. fact of the matter is, it happened. You got busted. Suck it up. You know, you can continue to – you can sit on the sidelines for four games wearing four rings and then come back in week five and, and you'll be okay. Um, I don't know why – I don't know what this hoopla is all about, about why everybody's now suspecting with the fact that, it, like you guys have both said, it did go 11 hours. Now everybody's expecting, oh, well, we could see Tom Brady week one. If that happens, then – I'm going to make a call now that we need to get Roger Goodell out of office. Well, let's face it. If, if, if Brady's there week one, then that means that he and Jeffrey Kessler did a very good job. They were well-prepared, made their argument. The argument made sense, and it was a better argument than what the NFL put forth, and it was a better argument than what the Wells report suggested. That's all. 
But you're saying, John, you're you're saying that as a homer, you can't do that. That's illegal. You can't Why is it illegal? I mean, if, if they did a better job of presenting their case in the NFL, then they're going so to get what they want. You have to look, but you have to look at it this way. The reason why it's going went to a court case in the first place because Roger Goodell didn't want to be the one to take care of it. So he let Ted Wells take care of it. Then it goes to appeal. And magically, who's the one that's listening to it? Roger Goodell. He's the, he's the leading procedure in this appeal case. He, according to you know multiple sources uh, through both the NFL Network and ESPN. So, it, well, don't it, forget, it did cost the NFL $5 million for this Wells report. So don't forget that part either. Yeah, but $5 million is $5 compared to what they're making. Like, that's basically Regardless about, of whether it is or it isn't, it was still $5 million that was spent on this thing. Yeah. That they really didn't anticipate. So. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they didn't anticipate having to spend $5 million for a report that was almost 400 pages long. And probably no, didn't want to spend forward, that yeah. kind of money to begin with. Yeah, I was about to say, moving forward, maybe it might be a good idea to hopefully – you know, kind of earmark some money for these types of issues. I mean, but, yeah, no, I'm with you. Uh, like I said before, I'm curious to see exactly where this goes, uh, Brady, if you're in the suspension. Uh, I just uh, I just want to see where it goes. Uh, but it's time to put it to bed. And I think now when we don't have a pleasant football news, it's going to be – it's going to run rapid. You know, people are going to have the phone with it. Well, let's face it. I mean, Greg Hardy's still waiting to hear what his uh, his appeal to uh, ends up to be, and his took place on May 28th. And so, I think for both of these guys, they're going to end up twisting through the wind through the month of July until probably uh, you get close to training camp, and then they find out their fate, or maybe even at the the very beginning of training camp, they find out their fate. I think so. That's even more interesting. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I was just about to say that's even more interesting because this guy, you know, I mean, you can read the court affidavits like what he did. You know, it happened. You know, like I said before, they had a chance to completely shut this guy down, but I think he paid off his ex-girlfriend or something like that and was able to get it. You know, she just didn't show up for that day in court, but they could they could have, he'd be done. <laughs> if she testifies in court for the affidavit <laughs> that, that happened locally, he's done. Like, I'm serious. So, um, I, like I said before, I'm curious to see where this goes, but with him especially, uh, they, they ought to make quick work of him. There's no way that extension is appealed, and if it is, Jerry Jones might have, uh, you know, you know, rubbed elbows with the right person, but I just, you know, that's that's about as guilty as guilty gets here, especially dealing with the methods that I'm. Well, let's face it, the Cowboys do need Greg Hardy. If you're talking about it from a football point of view, they really do need Hardy on the field and not uh, uh, serving a significant amount of time off the field based on a suspension uh, that took place last year. So. Um, you you do wonder, uh, you know, in, in Brady's case, Robert Kraft did send an affidavit on on Brady's behalf as as part of the uh, um, uh, the the paperwork that was done associated with this. I, I wonder if Jerry Jones did the same thing for Greg Hardy. Yeah, and I'm I'm right there with you. Like I said before, uh, you know, Dallas Cowboys and Josh, we talked about this. I felt like they needed some D line help in the draft because you know they had a bunch of guys just kind of go out and have career years, but I don't think their D line is necessarily stable. Uh, so, you know, to not address the tackle, uh, they went out and got themselves, I guess, a DN or, or outside linebacker and Gregory, but they need some more help inside. And uh, if Gregory can't play, I think they got to be hurting a little bit for the first few weeks of that season, and, uh, of course, until he comes back. And even when he does come back, he's going to end up playing catch-up for the rest of the year, which could easily pose a problem. True, true. Uh we can't continue to talk about one quarterback, though, because obviously you guys have seen the news circulating, especially today. It seems like it's really caught fire today. 
Uh, Montel, I've I got to ask you this because I'm confused. Now, I know you guys have a crappy course match, so just bear with me. Um, why on God's green earth, if you are the Denver Broncos, would you even consider trying to shop Peyton Manning? Yeah, we'll, we'll, let the, we'll, we'll let those crickets chirp a little bit because that's exactly... <laughs> exactly what I was thinking, and I'm sure that's exactly... Look, it's simple. You do it because his ceiling is probably going to be at its highest, and you want to see what you can potentially fetch for him, because again, you don't know how much longer he's going to play, and so, if you're the Denver Broncos, you are now starting to look at the other side of the fence here, and trying to uh, maybe, again, see what you can get for somebody that may not be around that much longer. But you look, exactly. but you look at the way, I think it's more of a, I think it's more of a, you know, we'll listen to offers type thing. I don't do that. Right. Openly, you know, uh, throwing them out there because you don't, you don't treat a Peyton Manning like that. But uh, look, if they can get a fool's ransom from him, I mean, because seriously, if you're going to cough up a couple of draft picks or something like that, I mean, you just got to take it. Uh, I don't know if it really sets your franchise back as much as it makes your your rebuild or retool in the next couple of years go a lot smoother. So. Um, I'll be the horrible idea. I would just question it because they must, you know, they must really like what they have in Brock Eisweiler and uh, uh, Zach Dyser. So that's that's the thing. But uh, ultimately, it's not a horrible idea, uh, especially for the Houston Texans. Uh, dome team for Peyton Manning. I mean, that's that's definitely the way to go. And the more I think about it, the more I think about these uh, these winter games that they have to play. Uh, I think it'd be easier for him to get through to the you know to the back end of the playoffs, uh, playing at home indoors. Uh, especially with the arm strength issue he had later in the season. So just a thought there. I Look, I, John Elway is not only a, a former NFL quarterback, but he's become a businessman. And I think that Elway does realize that, uh, you know, the window of opportunity, if you're going to consider such a such a thing with Peyton Manning, is, is beginning to close. So either you take the look and, and see what might be there, or you just, you know, allow Peyton Manning to finish his career in Denver and, you know, whatever happens, happens. Yeah, but this is Montel. So this is what I'm at. This is what I gotta ask because this is what's really driving me insane. Is like you said, they must really like what they have in Brock Osweiler. Which, being a Montana guy, I'm not too upset with that. But you got a guy, basically your Rolls, you know, basically a Rolls Royce. You got a guy in Brock Osweiler who might might be a Corvette, maybe a Camaro. Are you really trying to? You see where I'm going with that? Like, are you really going to – would you rather drive around in a Rolls Royce or would you rather drive around in a Camaro? Because I know certainly that I'd rather have the Rolls Royce, uh, especially something that's proven like that with the way Manning has played over the last year. You've got to look at it this way, too. It's not like they had a horrible season last year. Yeah, they lost to the Colts in the first round. The Colts were also a team that had it might not have been for – a deflated footballer. Oh, stop, 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 stop. stop. Or the fact that they couldn't just flat-out play run defense. They might have been a team in the Super Bowl. And I'm not saying that they probably would have beat the Seattle Seahawks, but I'm definitely saying that they would have been in there. But he led them to the playoffs every year he's been there. You look at Osweiler's stats, which, again, I'm not dogging. I can't, can't dog him. Uh, but you look at the stat that he's had when he came into games when they've blown teams out. He hasn't played well at all. And so why would you assume that Brock is going to be the heir apparent based on his numbers? Why would you assume this? I 
personally, I don't assume it. I would like to see it because he's a Montana guy, and, and that's how we were born and raised. It's a yeah. root for the other Montanans to have success. But you look at it the way it is, and you also look at the fact that he's been learning about it, probably the greatest quarterback that the NFL is probably going to see in terms of the way he actually plays the position. But you, you look at his on-field performance versus the traits or the qualities that he might have, and they don't match up yet. Uh, and, again, going back, especially with a guy who has led you to literally – I mean, you, you go back to the year – you know, the first year he was playing with them, they were a Hail Mary away from the Super Bowl. Or, you know, or excuse me, a Hail Mary away from playing the New England Patriots, John, in the AFC Championship game, which they undoubtedly lost because the Ravens won the Super Bowl that year. So, and then you, you go the next year, they make it to the Super Bowl, and they just absolutely got piss-pounded by the Seattle Seahawks in that pass defense. And then you look at this past year, and they, they lost in the first round of the, of the playoffs. So what is your point to all of this? I'm trying to figure out your point. My point is that no way, shape, or form should John Elway ever consider, no matter what you can get from him, doesn't matter if you get a deal like the Herschel Walker deal where you get an entire draft class, there's no way you should trade Peyton Manning away from this roster because they are literally one or two plays away from the Super Bowl. I I I, I don't know about that, Josh. If you get the Herschel Walker deal, if you get a couple firsts or a first and a second, I mean, you got to do it. Uh, yeah, look, the truth is, if I had a crystal ball, it's not a bold statement to say that the Broncos would have Did we, did we lose Montel? I was going to say, he was going so well there, and then all of a sudden you lost him. It's a pity. What did you do, cut him off because he was making a good point? Is that what you did? <laughs> I wish I could. I don't have the power. To <laughs> I wish I could. But, I mean, I, I see what you guys are going. I see what you guys are going. I do. You know, Look, I, there's always a window of player, and once you once that window of opportunity starts to close, then you need to start thinking about other options. And if John Elway is starting to think that maybe Peyton Manning's window of opportunity is beginning to close, then you start kicking around to see what you might be able to do about it. But that's the thing. But really, like I said, I like I said, I understand what what you guys what the point you're trying to make. And the point being truly is that no matter what, if they were to do that, what are you going to get in return? You're going to get a first round pick. Yeah, that, that's all. You know, that's all said in the end. But you're going to virtually set your team back probably three or four years. Yeah, but that may happen anyways. The last thing you want is for Peyton Manning to be around when he shouldn't be anymore, and I think that's part of John Elway's thought process here. He doesn't want to get caught having a quarterback still out there that, frankly, may not be able to do it anymore. And so, okay, he's going to kick the tires to see what he might be able to get just in case he has to pull that trigger. True. And, like, well, we will agree to disagree on this, I just, I would rather have them do it in the future rather than the fact that they're, you know, like I said, they're probably a player or two or hell, maybe even a player away from making the Super Bowl next year. Well, um, I mean, who knows? I, I think that's an interesting the potential comment to make, but we'll see if they are that close. Uh, uh, you know, maybe they are, maybe they're not. And if they're not, then I think the idea of kicking the tires around Peyton Manning becomes an even stronger idea. That I can believe with. If they have another performance this year where they get knocked out by a team that more than likely, unfortunately, they, they should beat, 
you know, they should have beat the Colts, hands down. Uh, in terms of that offense versus that defense, it shouldn't have been a game. Indianapolis came to play. If that happens this year in 2015, then I completely agree, and I will mark this statement, and I'll make sure that I put it out for the world to see, that I agree with John Elway trying to get rid of him. But if he leads him to the AFC Championship game or the Super Bowl, you have to let it ride out until this dude's playing bad. I mean, it's not like he's having an a, you know, average stat line every year. I mean, every year he's virtually setting a new record, whether it be a single-season record or whether it be a career record. Uh, but it's not the stat down. line that Elway's interested in. It, what he's interested in is the results. And if Peyton Manning can't get them to the promised land anymore, then that's when you got to start kicking the tires to try and find somebody who can. True. And so, like I said, we're, we're, you know, like you said, we're going to have to wait and see if this plays out. I'm being optimistic because, like I said, I truly do believe Peyton Manning still has a little bit more left to him. And I think maybe even a little bit more than Tom Brady. But, that's again, that's, that's a different story for a different day. Uh, Obviously, because I, I think that, uh, you know, Brady still has enough left in him that uh, – uh, a fifth possibility is, is maybe a bit more legitimate here than another possibility in Denver. And you're John. We, see, we can't see. That's why we can't talk to Patriots, man. You're just, you're just well, so look, I, I just think that the Patriots, you know, business model has proven to be successful enough that you can make that statement. And I just think that uh, they have a business model that, frankly, is better than the majority of the NFL teams that are in existence, and maybe even all of them. That's true, but I tell you one thing. Uh, when you let two of your corners go, you're having a problem there. Well, and, and again, I, you know, the Patriots weren't willing to, to sacrifice or, frankly, give up that money for those two corners. And, uh, you know, hopefully they've, uh, they've provided themselves with a plan B that's still going to work despite those two guys not being around. And if it does work, then it's just going to continue to demonstrate that their business model is just, frank, frankly, better than anybody else's. True, and hopefully uh, Malcolm uh, Butler makes a huge step in year two. The undrafted created, and if anybody remembers or for the Seattle fans who need a reminder, uh, was the one that made the, the fantastic play at the end of the game in the Super Bowl last year. And I do think that that's what the Patriots are counting on. They're counting on some of their young DBs being able to step up and uh, take over. Uh, what Revis and Browner did for this team last year. And if they can, like I say, the business model just continues to look that good. And, and like I said, I'm, I'm going to continue to be optimistic about that. Uh, you know. I mean, look, for the Patriots, it's always about the business model. It really is. It's always about the business model. And as long as the business model gives them opportunities, they're going to stick to it. And I and I can believe I can believe and agree with you on that one. Because you look at some of the cuts they've made over the years, Richard Seymour, William McGinnis. Uh, Go back to the trade they made toward the end of training camp last year when they traded Logan Mankins to Tampa Bay for Tim Wright. People up here were screaming that uh, Logan Mankins got traded for Tim Wright. They they couldn't understand why the Patriots would have done such a thing, why you would have taken an experienced lineman away from that group and send him to Tampa Bay for essentially a backup tight end. But in the end, it worked. It it did, but not for very long as he's gone. But long enough. That's the point. It worked for long enough. That's, you know, very, very true, John, very true. Um... I have no clue where Montel's at. You know what? Maybe actually Montel might have had to catch him twice. I didn't even think about that. 
Well, I didn't know he was in an airport. He was in an airport? Yeah. Oh, I didn't even know he was in an airport. Yeah, he was still in South Carolina. He was, he was flying back. Uh, <laughs> he was flying back this evening, he said. Uh, we, we spoke a little bit earlier uh, before showtime. And so he, he warned me, and I completely forgot about it. Um, you know, we still haven't talked to him about his jury duty experience. By the time we finally get to do that, it's going to be ancient history. Well, we need to keep reminding him. And I know he's probably listening. So if he is, uh, fly safe. I hope you get to Chicago okay. And then make sure you send us an email about your jury duty experience. You know what? Forget it, John. We're going to make that a topic next week. Uh, it has to be because we're wasting too much time. This It's going to be about three or four weeks if we don't do something about it. Yeah, that'll be a, that'll be a topic next week for sure. Uh, but we've reached, uh, we reached the first half hour of our show. Again, you're listening to the NGSC Sports Weekly Show on NGSC Sports Radio and NGSCSports.com. You can also listen to us on Spreaker, iHeart, and iTunes. You can also go to the website and listen to our show live on the live player. That says NGFC Sports Radio Live Channel 1. Just click on the screen, Live Now button, and you will be listening to both of us. Uh, some of the articles that have popped up that have been uh, increasing is I'm going to throw Marcel a little bit, of, uh, little bit of love here, a pick six, a breakdown of the Chicago Bears running back situation. Uh, Major League Baseball life, Pete Rose undoubtedly deserves to be reinstated. John, I can't wait till we talk about that in the second hour. Uh, Jamie Council, who's also going to be joining us here shortly, wrote a by the numbers article on the Chicago Blackhawks and why uh, it was a numbers game for them to win the Stanley Cup. And then Cleveland's playing with dirty money. Obviously, that's talking about Johnny Football and Johnny Mansell, and then, of course, uh, Eric Hendricks hopes to continue his success in Minnesota being the middle linebacker. Um, again, this is the weekly show on NGSC Sports and NGSCSportsRadio.com. Uh, we are now being joined by Jamie Council, who is going wow. to give us a little bit of a session. Hey, you know what we need to hope for before Jamie starts? You know what we need to hope for? If Montel is actually on a plane as we speak, but hopefully he has something on so that the people in the uh, the aircraft with him can actually listen to this show while they're going back to Chicago. I like, yeah. You know what? We'll have to send him a quick text. Yes, like, absolutely. That's given his plane have Wi-Fi otherwise he could be causing such an appearance. Oh, now let's not be that way about this. Let's just assume that the plane has Wi-Fi and that you can actually do this. Let's not be negative. I'm, I'm, I'm a realist. I wouldn't call me, I wouldn't call me negative. I'm a, I'm a realist. Well, all right. Let's work on this realism stuff here then. Let's be a bit more positive and think, hey, he can actually do this. <laughs> well, I'll just talk to him, you know. I just, I just wish he would have given us the heads up first, but... All the power to him, because I would love people to listen and to, you know, you guys going at it and all the good information we have. And so, no. I mean, that would be an interesting plane ride back to Chicago listening to us banter for an hour and a half. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, well, we can sit here and talk about this all day. Uh, but I will send Montel a, a quick text to remind him to make sure that his, phone, or that his plane has Wi-Fi but uh, the passengers on board can listen to us rant on everything that is going on in the sports world. But right now, uh, we are being joined by Jamie so that she can give us a little bit of an update on the U.S. women's soccer 
uh, early success heading into World Cup action and the quarterfinal match on Friday? Yeah, um, well, in order to get to the quarterfinals match on Friday, and that's against China, they had to get through Colombia, as we know, and they won that game 2-0, but uh, it was it was kind of ugly. If uh, I watched the game, it was scoreless until the first half, and then two minutes into the second half, uh, their it was their backup keeper Perez. She took up. She took out uh, Alex Morgan, and Abby Wambach was on the PK. Oh, she got red carded by the way. And I know that you know talking to Josh about this earlier. For you guys that don't know anything about red or yellow cards, that it's not like hockey. That if you get you know you get kicked out or whatever, you you serve a two minute penalty in soccer. If you get a red card, you're out the entire game and your team plays down a man for the entire match, and that person has to sit out the next game as well. So at, at that point, we kind of knew that the U.S. had it in the bag because they are kind of wearing on, you know, a, a pretty decent Columbia team. But granted, Abby, Abby Wambach, she's 30, 35 years old now, one of the best players in the world probably. I think she has the most goals in all of women's uh, soccer history ever. She beat out Mia Hamm. Um, she missed the PK, and Abby also announced her retirement, so that was kind of sad to see that, because I'm a huge Abby Wallach fan. And, but then it didn't really matter, because in the 50, I think it was around the 53rd minute, they got their first goal, Morgan. Alex Morgan is back. We, uh, she was out for a while with a knee injury, and she hasn't really been playing that great, but she's finally starting to get get into the swing of things. And she got a goal on the near post. And then in the 66th minute, uh, uh, Rapo, uh, no, it wasn't, it was uh, Rapino. There's Ramponi and Rapino. There's a major difference between them. But Rapino was fouled. And then uh, Carly Lloyd got the goal, giving them the 2 0 lead. And they held up for the rest of it. But uh, this is kind of a little news on Columbia, though. While they're a very good team, um, there was a last South American team in it, and that was the first time they had advanced the round of 16, and it was only their second World Cup. Um, they come from a country where women's soccer in general is regarded as manly and not a sport for women. So, I mean, kudos to them. But... They're going home, and we're going to be playing China on Friday. But the bad thing about that is, is World Cup rules, uh, Rapino and Lauren Holiday, she's a big midfielder, both got their second yellow card of the tournament. So if you get two yellow cards in the game, you get a red card, you're ejected. But if you get two yellow cards in the tournament, it means you have to sit out the next game. So... Rafina was one of the best. Uh, she's a winger. She's one of the best players for the team. Of course, she had the first huge game against against Australia, scoring both of the goals. So both her and Lauren Holiday are out for China. So that's going to be um, something. Yeah. So looking, you know, looking back, you know, obviously, you know, the United States has been playing uh, sloppy, I believe, at best. And the way that you can look at the way they've been playing, like uh, you know, like I said, they've been playing sloppy, but they've been getting the job done. 
But what I'm turning out is they have, they have the best defense. They have the best defense. They have 133 minutes. And now you have, yeah, you know, but now you head to, you know, China as, you know, I'm not, I'm not the biggest soccer fan, nor am I the biggest World Cup fan, but I have taken time to at least understand and sit and watch some of these games that have been on TV because, I mean, there's no other sports on, so why not try and learn? Um, but you look at the way China plays, uh, they're a little bit content in terms of offensively, uh, or conservative, I guess is a better way to put it. They're not necessarily as aggressive as you would normally see some of these other teams, like a team like Germany is an example. Uh, who I believe, uh, after watching uh, a couple of their games, is probably one of the more aggressive teams within the entire tournament. Uh, but you look at the way they play defense and the fact that uh, they're like, you know, they're like vultures around a, you know, around a Yeah, uh, China's a very tactical team. Um, but it's kind of a blessing to play them because uh, China beat Cameroon in the round of 16. And Cameroon's one of those teams where, you know, it's like a box of chocolate. You never know what you're going to get. So it's Friday. Wow, that was good. That was good. Yeah, you're welcome, John. But if Friday, they're a very athletic team. If you go player for player, athletic ability, Cameroon's one of the most athletic teams, but they're also one of the most, I don't want to say undercoached, but maybe under underdeveloped as far as their attacks go. So that's a, that's a team that can score on you in any given moment just because of their athletic ability. But then they're also very unorganized, and you can get three goals on them. But what if the one game in 10 that Cameroon could beat us happens? Oh, China, we know what we're going to get. You know, they're a good team, but it's, um, you know, it's, it's, we know what we're going to get. So I'm glad we're playing China instead of Cameroon. And then a little history lesson for you guys. That uh, last time we played China in the World Cup, 1999. So... I don't know. Do you guys watch soccer and you know what happens when a player takes their shirt off? It usually means they've scored a goal that allows them to win a World Cup, which took place at the Rose Bowl. Well, close. But now as a player, like if I go out and play soccer and I take my shirt off after I score a goal, it's a yellow card. Well, yeah, because nobody really liked to see what Brandy Chastain did that day. No, because so many people were doing it. Yeah, that's what I was getting to, that in order to win the World Cup in 1999, it went into PKs, and Brandi Chastain, you know, infamously, like, you, know, she's like, I don't know, I, I just did it. I didn't think about it. I just did it. But now if players take their shirts off, it's all because of Brandi Chastain. And now it's yellow cards, so that's a little, little history lesson. But United States and China – go back a little bit. But we're also going to be playing without uh, Rapino and Holiday. But then, you know, Ryan and Press are coming in, which they're very deep squads, but just not having Rapino, that really kind of scares me because she's kind of the workhorse for the team. But, um, but yeah, that game is on Friday, and it's, it's, it's going to be good to see. I feel like the United States haven't really hit their straps Getting the job done, you know, the good news is Hope Solo's been playing great, you know, throughout everything in the tournament from off-field issues. You know, she's been staying strong there. Uh, her husband sent out pretty strong words uh, regarding that issue. And, um, and Look, I just so- think the Team USA, based on their back end, it, it, it has allowed them to get to the knockout stage. And when you get to the knockout stage, you're going to play low-scoring games. And I think that uh, 
because goals are a premium when you get to this point. If you have a back end that's strong and a goaltender that's equally as strong, then you have a chance to go a long way, and that's why this group does. Yeah, well, the second part to that is there's a thing that if you don't finish your chances, if you're the better team but you're not scoring, then the other team's going to score. Um, well, that can be said in any sport. I mean, that, that's not just soccer. That can be any sport. Yeah, but in soccer, you know, we're, we're talking soccer here, but that's, that's what I'm saying, though, is that it doesn't show up because they've been kind of inconsistent. And another thing I kind of worry about, you know, Abby scored the game-winning goal, you know, but she, the last, the last, uh, the game against, um, against Columbia, she missed the PK, and she announced her retirement right before that. I'm just thinking, like, mentally, is she going to be affected? Because PKs, like, that's, that, that's like a given goal, and then you miss those. It's the worst feeling in the world. I also you know, thought it was a weird time to announce such a thing. Yeah, I, I'm wondering how that went. How that went about to be. I mean, if you're going to do something like that, either you do it before the tournament begins, or you wait until it's over. But you don't do it in the middle of it, which is what she did, which I thought was pretty weird. Yeah, I, I have no idea what that was about, but um, but yeah, she. I mean, she's 35 years old, and then she didn't start. And I mean, she did. She did score the game-winning goal um, in their in their last you know, in the game before uh, against, it was against Nigeria, in that game to advance to take the first place in the group of death, the group D. But, yeah, it, it was weird, but I guess we're not even going to go there. And then another thing is she's probably not the only one. You know, uh, their captain, not not uh, Rapino, but Christy Rampone, Ramponi, she just turned 40 today. Well, let's face it, we are talking about a Team USA group that has, you know, bits and pieces from the past to go along with what you would assume would be the bits and pieces of the future. And so this is a team that's in transition while it's making this particular run. So I would think that uh, uh, this is a squad that once this is all said and done with is going to begin the process of uh, overhauling this roster for, uh, for the next time that they get an opportunity to uh, partake as a national group. Uh, John, I couldn't agree more with that statement. Um, you know, I grew up watching Abby Wambach when she was when she was beginning, and Mia Hamm was in the middle of her um, was in the middle of her prime. So that that's when I started, you know, keeping an eye on Abby. And you know, ten years later, here it's the same thing. Now Alex Morgan is the one that got her start from Abby. That if you look at these forwards when they play with the best because Mia was the best and back when they both played on the Washington Freedom of the WUSA, they became a duo. And now that, you know, Abby and Alex Morgan have played together, they you know, they've become a, a duo whenever they go in. And so it's, you know, it's, it's really cool to see them push each other, but I agree that, um, you know, and the same thing with goalkeepers. There was Brianna Scurry, and now there's Hope Solo, both amazing keepers. But Brianna comes over, and Hope comes in. You kind of, you kind of switch them out. But I feel like, uh, you know, I just, I just want Abby to end, you know, end off her career well. And they're also losing a lot from her because she doesn't play like Alice Morgan. You know, you're not going to see her making quick plays. She, she's a, she's a tank. You know, players are scared to go up against her. I don't know if you guys any, anybody knows the player Cece. He's playing the WSA too. Uh, 
she was one of the assistant coaches on a summer coaching I played with, and she hates that first player ever just because, in all honesty, Abby isn't technical. She's a bulldozer out there, and she's a target on the header. She doesn't care who's in her way. If they're in her way, they better get out of the way. Otherwise, she's taking them out. And, you know, people are scared of her. And so so that that's one thing that the joke that uh, Team USA would be losing with Abby. But I definitely agree that it's half the future and, you know, going out. It's just it's just sad to see with uh, the players that, that I grew up watching. Well, I mean, let's, let's face it. It's what happens. I mean, it, it does at some point become out with the old and in with the new. I also think it speaks rather highly for the college soccer program that uh, at the NCAA's Division One level that is across the country that it's being able to produce talented female soccer players that is allowing this national team to uh, to continue to be a force in competitions like this and even in Olympic competitions when uh, they get together. Yeah, and, you know, that all started with Title Nine and women's soccer in general. The first time that they competed in the World Cup was 1991. So, you know, that's, that's as old as that, that's as old as me. It's not like men's soccer that goes back, you know, a while. But they've, they've definitely had their uh, ups and downs that, you know, a great documentary would be, uh, oh, my God, Dare to Dream. It's about yeah. women's soccer. If you want to know soccer thought on the level it did and some of the things these players went through, Dare to Dream is a great documentary. And then on my Twitter, I tweeted something that um, Norway's been going through. Of course, Norway got knocked out uh, by England. But they, uh, the funny thing about that is, is that they that they did a very satirical video, you know, saying like uh, saying everything that people have been saying about them for the past ten years and. So, um, no, it's, it's really good just to see, you know, female soccer players be able to, you know, get on the level. And then NCAA, of course, has had a huge with Title IX. That now, now there's opportunities for women to play because there's so many players. If you think about it, volleyball, there's six players on the court. There's, you know, that a lot of people get to play on the field. There's softball where, you know, you have you have the nine players and then, you, you know, it's, it's that you have 22, and it's a very physical, demanding sport that you have to carry 30, 30 people on the roster and travel 20 or 25, that, that there's a lot more opportunity to go through that. And as far as, you know, one of the problems they have to go through is, you know, uh, the late bladder uh, of the FIFA. He calls himself the godfather of women's soccer. But let me remind you, that's the same guy that said to increase viewership let's let's make them wear tighter clothing let's let's sexualize the game and you know that that kind of takes away from you know and that 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 they said no that women's soccer has really stood up for itself that you know um Granted, you know, most, most guys... Well let's, well, let's leave that out of this. I, I do think there are two things going on with the World Cup that I think are pretty good. A, that Canada has continued to uh, to play well, got into the knockout stage, and have moved on. I think that's a, a, a strong thing for a country that I didn't think really when it came to uh, soccer was uh, had that kind of depth or even had that kind of talent. 
And obviously for Fox Television, this is also a big deal for them. To get the USA to this point and to be able to get to hopefully increase viewership with every game that they have played, every match that they've played to this point, uh, those I think are two interesting things that have really played out rather well for everybody involved. Yeah, but let me address First of all, there's only one word to, to describe uh, Canada and that's Sinclair. She is arguably the best women's soccer player in the world, and she, she's the driving force behind that team. Um, so she, she can carry a team, and that's what she's done. But I have a feeling when Canada plays Japan, um, that that's going to be they're going to have to get through Japan, and I really want them to just because it is the home team, and um, you know I, I think that a final with U.S. versus Canada would be the best thing that anybody could ever hope for, including Fox. But if you kind of look at you know you're going to call me negative, but I'm being a realist here about Fox. That uh, that's another thing that FIFA getting into you know what bladder is done. FIFA sold the viewer rights, cashed in on the soccer that the men's the men's World Cup, you know, last year. Let me remind you, went through ESPN, and ESPN is in 81% of homes, right? And they also have all the apps that Fox is still Fox is still getting those. As Fox is still developing. The thing I find that I don't understand about Fox is this: Fox Sport One has for the most part, had Team USA matches on, whereas the -the over-the-air network, Fox, has ran everybody else. I don't understand why Team USA wouldn't be on the -the over-the-network, Fox, as opposed to being on cable all the time. Yeah, and that's the thing, is that they're only on 73% of all television. So while the viewership, you know, their their opening game versus Australia had 3.3 million viewers, which is, triple the viewership of the U.S. Open, but, you know, that's not going to get into that. But when the men played Ghana <laughs> in the World Cup last year, and this was on ESPN, granted men are going to drive more, you know, more of a viewership just because that's the way it goes. I don't like it, but that's the way it is. But they had 19 million viewers. While that's men or ESPN, you know, it was kind of a cash grab by FIFA that – um that's well, I mean, you can call it a cash grab all you want, and I think for the most part you're probably right, but I just think that the way Fox scheduled this is wrong. I think that if they had had Team USA on the over-the-network Fox, I think that the ratings would have gotten better, the interest would have become even more than what it is, and whatever money that they would have paid uh, to get the World Cup, I think they would have gotten it back just based on the viewership and the potential sponsorships that they would have gotten on that viewership. You know, Fox is throwing out an awful lot of money, not only for the World Cup, but you mentioned the U.S. Open. I mean, they, they threw out $100 million to get the USGA to give them uh, those tournaments that, uh, for the most part, have been on NBC for years, and now they're on Fox all of a sudden. I mean, this is a network that's throwing an awful lot of money out there because they're trying to establish a cable network that can rival ESPN and maybe even NBC Sports Network. I agree with that, but, you know, uh, I'm out of time. But the last thing I'm going to say on that, that while they are trying to catch up, they're making women's soccer the guinea pig. Well, you know what? You had to make somebody the guinea pig to make your point. So if it wasn't going to be women's soccer, it was going to be something else. I mean, somebody had to, somebody had to be put in that.
Oh, no, and you're probably right, but I'm just saying that if, from Fox's perspective, if it wasn't going to be women's soccer, it was going to end up being somebody else. So who could that somebody else be? No one, because yeah. FIFA, FIFA's been doing that. Oh, make them more tired clothing. Oh, let's, let's, let's put them on turf. We don't put the men on turf. And, oh, you know, there's no way we're going to sell the right to uh, when the Men's World Cup is because we don't want to gamble that. But you know what? Let's throw women's soccer on turf and see how we do it. Yeah, let's, let's sell the rights for women's soccer and see how it does. Look, you know? I don't disagree with you, but I, I just think that that's the way business is being done today. Unfortunately, not only at a, at a, at a country level, but at a global level, and that's – that's unfortunate, but at some point, uh, either you, you find a way to change it or you just accept the way it is and make the most of it. Yeah, and I'm hoping that the women uh, make the most of it this World Cup. And I think they are, just based on those that have made it to the knockout stage and, and based on those that have uh, – and look at the attendance that's been taking place in Canada. And I didn't realize – that uh, the Canadian sports fan was really all that interested in women's soccer, but uh, based on the crowds that I've seen, uh, that uh, is definitely the case. They're very much interested not only in, in their own national team, but in others as well. Yeah, a lot of that in the U.S., though. I went to the game in Winnipeg, and there was uh, 33,000 people there. There you go. Yeah, so, Jamie, it's always great to have you on with us, and, and... Well, oh, you can let us uh, talk hockey if you want while you were just – are you eating popcorn again? Is that what I you was. were doing? Always. I figured you were. I always do. But, Jamie, it's always good to have you on to educate us in this time and get educated on uh, women's world soccer. I uh, appreciate you coming on and have yourself a good evening. Thanks for having me on. Have a good night. Bye, John. Bye, John. Bye, Jamie. <laughs> Actually, I just said you. bye to you and then kept Jamie on. It would have been better. But, you know, I can't do that. Yeah, I mean, if we want to do it that way, I think that's the way we got to do it. But, uh, of course, folks, that was Jamie Council giving us a little bit of insight on the United States Women's World Cup and the fact of uh, while they may have been playing somewhat sloppy, uh, they are still uh, undoubtedly in the chase to be the, the top contender uh, to hoist the World Cup when it's all said and done. 